that is very clear about the praise this morning. Some of us praise by quiet and soft meditation, like me. Sometimes I just bow my head and can't believe that God called me. Some of us are vocal and exuberant in our praises. And it's just kind of shut up in your bones like my bride. And, but flowing from the heart should be praise. And the Christian life is based both on what we know and what we believe in our hearts, and then we couple that with scripture. That's what we do. We reflect on our lives. We see that in Romans chapter 4, reflecting in our lives. And then we turn to God's passage and say, so, so give, me, give me some textual evidence on why praise ought to flow from my heart, why gratefulness ought to flow from my heart. So this morning I'll be preaching from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. And the title of this sermon is Thankful for an Advocate. Thankful for an Advocate. So, so, so imagine me and my wife sitting at a ball game yesterday and we're, we're, we're enjoying the Louisville and UK game somewhat. Because I'm a card fan. But, but in this game, there's an adult who is being a bully, in a sense, to a little kid. So th this one little kid is sitting, actually a, a dear friend of ours, and he is a UK fan. His dad played ball at the University of Kentucky. And just by nature, he's just a UK fan, sitting boldly in the midst of a bunch of U of L fans. But this guy, a couple of rows back, takes off his, his toboggan, his skull cap, and throws it and throws it, and the little boy's mouth drops open, Elijah's mouth drops open. But here's the good part, though, because his father stood up and turned around and said, that's my son. <laughs> he turned around and looked at the guy and said, that's my son, go get his hat. And at that moment, Elijah had to do nothing because the advocate was right by his side. He stood and he looked as his, his father boldly said, get my son's stuff. You're wrong. He is my boy. And that's what it means in a sense to have an advocate. Someone who will, when you cannot stand up for yourself or contend with people around you, who will stand boldly for you and say, that's my son, that's my daughter. And dear saints, you need an advocate, but you don't need an advocate to contend for you at a ball game. You need an advocate who will contend for you for your wretched sins. Because somebody is accusing, even now, your own heart even accuses you now. And Satan stands and he tries and he seeks to accuse us, but thank be to God, we have an advocate we will see that in our text, the image is this. Jesus Christ stands for us. The need is this. You need an advocate. The subject of this passage, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 6, 
is Jesus Christ. It all hangs on him. It all hangs on him. Let's turn now to 1 John, which is right before 2 John, which is right before 3 John, which is right before Revelation. So if you just go to the end of the Bible and you turn four books the opposite way, you'll hit 1 John. Amen? Well, let's stand now for the reading of the word. First John, chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You may be seated. So I like to pose some, some rhetorical questions and answer those questions to properly set the context of where we are. I would assume that because of the church we're going through Galatians that many of you all are spending your daily devotions and time reading through Galatians. So I'll bring you up to speed uh, here in, in just a few minutes for First John. So, so, so who is the author? The author is, is John. So we have two Johns functioning in the Bible. John, who was beheaded, John the disciple. This is John the disciple who wrote these passages. He also wrote John. He wrote First John, Second John, Third John, and also the book of Revelations. And so now we have to ask ourselves, what concerns caused the text to be written? So we know that John wrote this, but what concerns caused him to pen this letter? There were multiple concerns that caused him to write this letter. One was that people were denying the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. They were saying his blood is not enough. Some flat out denied that Jesus even existed. He, he, he is just a figment of your imagination. And then some people went so far as to say, oh, he's just a good dude. Jesus Christ is just a good guy. He is not king of kings or lord of lords at all. And so John, loving his people, loving his church, said, I need to send them a letter. To whom was this text written? It was written to believers. We see, this, we see this hashed out several times. So if you are an unbeliever and you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, keep your ear with me now. But this was written for believers. It was written to encourage believers. It was written to encourage them. So, 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 so what does the text say specifically? We can look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 12, 13, and 14. He says specifically, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. He goes on in uh, 1 John 2, 13. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him. See, all this is language of believers. It's not unbelievers' language. Fathers, you know him. Who is this that, he, who is this that you know? You know Jesus Christ, Lord of Lord, King of Kings. And we serve a triune God. God the Father, 
God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Godhead. If you offend somebody by saying Trinity, because they say Trinity is not in the Bible, okay, that's cool. He is the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. How do we see this? We see this in verse 1, 1 John 2, 1, that the Father existed. He existed. We see this in, 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 verse, in verse 6, that we should walk by the power of the Spirit. We see in verse 2 that Jesus Christ is our advocate. So God the Father, Jesus Christ our advocate, kept by the power of the Holy Spirit, we better be thankful that we serve a triune God. So now the question has to be asked. What do we share in common with the, with the, with the, with the recipients of this text? John wrote this to a small church. What do we share in common with them? Well, dear saints, we share everything in common with them <laughs> because we are being bombarded with the same nonsense that this church was written. Jesus Christ doesn't exist. Have you heard that in the last 30 days? Jesus Christ is just a good dude. Have you heard that in the last 30 days? Jesus Christ was broken homeless. Have you heard that in the last 30 days? Jesus Christ is not sufficient for me. Have you heard that? So we have, this text has everything to do with us and it has everything to do with us because the Bible is alive and it's active. And every single word is good for teaching and reproof and rebuke. Dear saints, give me your ear this morning, please. Don't think this doesn't apply to you. There's a warning in verse 4. There's a warning. God is good to warn us because he loves us. Like I warn my little kids, stay out of the street. And I give him warnings because I love him. I tell my daughters, stay out of the street. I tell them because, because I love them. But check out the warning here. Here's the warning. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar. So how's it a warning? Let me go on. But does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. If the truth is not in you, then you don't have Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ said, I am way, I am truth, I am life. I am life. How should we respond to this text? What do we do with this sermon when we're done? What do we do? We do three things. Number one, based on verse one, it says, we should search out sin in our lives and kill it. You should search out sin in your life and you should kill it. You should set up a plan to kill the sin in your life. Like that's what I hope you do when, you're, when we're done here today. You say, Lord, show me my sin and show me how to kill it. What's the second thing that I hope you do? Remember that we have an advocate. Yeah, because, because you, you start asking God to show you your sin, and he starts showing you your sin. <laughs> you may say, what am I going to do with all this sin? So after he's, after he's exposed your sin to you, then you remember you have an advocate. And then what is the third thing you do? Based on verse 3, the third thing we do is act like you know him. Three simple truths that I hope we leave with. Number one, search out sin and kill it. Number two, remember you have an advocate. Number three, act like you know him. Dear saints, we need to hate the sins in our lives. We also need an advocate. 
Let's explore the text. That was a long introduction. But y'all just be patient with me. 1 John verse 2 says this. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So, so, so on the initial onset, you just listen to the first three words in that verse. It says, my little children. Hear the affection of John claiming his church. My possessive. He says, you belong to me. Now, this, this, if we just read this passage without the word why, and it says little children, that could almost be received as demonstrative or almost offensive. But when, when John says, my little children, he begins to claim them. And then he calls them little children. And don't, don't, don't take offense when he says little children. Don't, don't take offense when he says little children. Why should we take offense when he says little children? Because he is seeing them as a spiritual father. My little children. You can talk to a 60-year-old parent today and ask them about their 40-year-old kid or their 30-year-old kid, and they may still refer to them as, that's my baby. <laughs> that's my baby. I tell my mom all the time, you, you my little stinker. I'm like, you can't call me your little stinker. I am an adult now. But for some reason, she still sees me as her little baby. And the affection of John's lips just rolls off. And he says, you are mine. And it's not a disrespectful tone, but it's a tone of deep affection. He is more contemplative than argumentative with his tone. He's not poking at them, but he is seeking to caress them with this letter. Come with me. Hear me. Why? Because he's dealing with them like a shepherd deals with sheep. My little children. My little children. We can go to John 13, 31 to 33. Jesus Christ himself speaks the same language. My little children. Dear friends, we need to hate our sin and we need an advocate. Check this out as we move forward. He says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you don't sin. So he makes his point very clear. But here's what's, here's what's, amazing, on, here's what's amazing about this. He says, I'm writing to you. I'm like, what? You're taking time out, John, of your day to pen a letter? To people that you love? Is that what you're doing, John? That's exactly what he's doing. We live in a day and age where technology is so at our fingertips, we're so connected, but yet we're so far away. And John says, I'm writing you a letter. I'm writing you a letter because I'm thinking about you. I'm writing you a letter because I love you. I'm writing you because, you know what? You are on my mind. So saints, what does that mean for us as a body of Christ? When is the last time you've reached out to a church member here or a church member within the local body that says, hey, you know what? I'm just thinking about you. I am writing you because I love you. I am writing you because I'm concerned about you. I am writing you. You're just on my heart and my mind today. Hey, but here's what's amazing about John. If you, if you flip with me to 1 John 2 and 12, Check out, check out his real desire. 
He says, I'm writing you, but only until I get to see you face to face. So what does that mean for us? He says, I'm writing you now, but my real desire is to see you face to face. So what does that mean? So, 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 so we see this in Romans 1.11. Paul says same thing, for I long to see you. Why was John wanting to see them face to face? Why was Paul longing, wanting to see them so that we could mutually encourage one another? Like that's the push here. The push for John is I'm writing you until I can see you. I'm texting you until I can see you tonight. I'm texting you until I see you in small group. I'm going to send you an email until I see you on Sunday. So now the question for all of us saints is, are we working within a small group at Forest? Are you thoroughly involved in the lives of other believers in this local body? Are you just texting folks? Or can you say, oh, no, that is my small group leader, or that is my small group leader, and these are the 10 to 15 or 20 people that I am living life with intimately. You know what, saints? Because we need that. Everybody in here is broken. Every one of us, broken, made of dust, and we need each other. And so John is saying, I am writing you so that you don't sin, but my real desire is to see you face to face. My question to you is, saints, how often are you seeing other believers in this body face to face? And that's a direct jab at all of us. Are we skipping small group because we think it's not important? Are we skipping Sunday school because we think that's for little kids? Are we not coming to church because, ah, it's just church? This is uncomfortable for me. (laughs) But I know this. I need you. And you need me. And what Satan loves to do is he loves to keep us separated from one another with small things like little kids' sports schedules, cheerleading, and dance practice. Let me move on. (laughs) I am writing these things so that you don't sin. So what are these things? These things he mentioned In the first 10 verses, chapter 1, the first 10 verses, what are these things? Here are the things that I'm writing to you. Testify to the Lord Jesus Christ. Fellowship with him, fellowship with one another, walk in the light, and say you have sinned. I'm going to run through those again because that was kind of quick. 1, 2 says this, testify that you know the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what these things are. Number 2, fellowship with him. That's 1 John 1 and 3. Number 3, fellowship with one another. That was my push there. 1 and 3, walk in the light. That's 1, 7. And say you have sin, that's 1, 9. All of those things take us out of our comfort zone. And those are the things that he's writing. How, how often do we testify that Jesus is Lord? How often do we seek fellowship with him? How often are we seeking to fellowship with one another? How often are we checking our hearts to see if we're really walking in the light? And how often, my dear friends, are we confessing our sins? The Bible says if you say you have no sins, then you're a liar. So we ought to be walking around and saying, hey, here are the areas where I'm sinful in my life. Because this is who we are. 
And that's okay. Because we are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And it's okay to say that you have sins. It is not okay to wallow in those sins. It is not okay to live a life of ungodliness and unholiness. But it is okay to confess your sins. Question, saints, when is the last time you confessed sins to another brother or sister? I hate confessing sins. I hate it. I hate it. Because I got to call Nate and say, I was just sharp with my wife. I got to text Pastor Vic in Lexington and say, hey, we're feuding right now. I got to call Tom Harper. We're sitting down and have lunch and say, hey, I ain't doing so good. I hate it, but it sharpens us. Confess sins. So those are the things. I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. So these five things we see in, in chapter one, he's writing those things so that we don't sin. And then he says, I'm writing these things to you. Hear the affection there again. I'm writing them to you. So, so dear friends, this word is for you today. Like, you know, what I used to do, what I used to do now sometimes, I say, oh, this is a good message. So-and-so need to hear this thing. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm in the middle of hearing a message. I'm like, well, I can't wait to send this to so-and-so. But that's not the case. He didn't say, give this letter to somebody else. He said, I'm writing this to you. So if you are here today, this is our Lord and Savior using me as his vessel, using the Holy Spirit within you to provoke your heart unto righteousness. And this letter, this sermon is for you. That's what he said. I didn't make it up. It's right here in the text. I'm writing this to you so that you don't sin. But if anyone does sin, if anyone does sin, like, what? You just told us in, in, in the preceding verses that everyone does sin, and we say we don't have any sin, that we are a liar. John, what do you mean if we sin? But if we do sin. Hey, do, 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 all he is saying is he's, he's softening the blow. Remember, he's not being argumentative. He's being shepherding. You know, he, he's giving us all, you know, if you do sin. If you do sin. He's not poking at the church. He's loving the church. And he says, but if you do sin, know that you have an advocate. Here's the deal, saints. You will sin. <laughs> Don't believe the hype. There's some theological arguments that say, oh yeah, one can go through a day without sinning. That's a lie. Check your today. Check your this morning. And if you believe you can go through a day without sinning, just ask the Lord to show you your sins. And he'll show them to you. But that's what he does. You were born in sin and shaped in iniquity because we are all sons of Adam. And that's just the truth. Paul says this in Romans chapter 7. Paul is arguing his way to the, to, to, to the Jews and to the Gentiles all the way through Romans. And at the, end, at the end of chapter 7, he begins to ask himself this question. He, he makes this statement, rather, when I want to do good, y'all know it, evil is all around me. But it's not just the evil that's around us, it's the evil that's within us. And, and that's the fight. That's the fight. See, 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 the only thing that comes out of us is what the law exposes, and it exposes the wickedness of our hearts. We need to hate our sins, saints, but we need an advocate. Let's just examine 
Galatians 5.19 for a minute. And I'm just going to read the Bible. <laughs> I'm just going to read the Bible. Because I just like reading the Bible. And y'all ain't got to be mad at me. You can just take us up with God. Just in case some of y'all like, you don't have no sin. Just get ready. This list makes you weep. It says, now the works of the flesh. Are evident. Now, now, now let's just rest through this list for a minute. Because I'm about to make my case right now on the reason why you need an advocate. Because everything in this list God hates. And you're going to need somebody to stand up for you to say you are alright. You're okay. You're alright. You're going to need somebody to wash you clear from this nonsense. Let's go to the list. They're evident. You can just say I or ouch when I get to you. Hey, the Bible said confess your sins. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> a little bit. <clears throat> just a little bit. It says sexual immorality. <laughs> hey, one man down, all right? We got one. We got one, two words, one man down looking for an advocate. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, Division, envy, drunkenness, orgies. If you haven't said ouch, he goes on to say, and things like these. <laughs> That's why I was like, well, I yeah, I ain't on the list. It didn't say black market schemes or internet, you know, things like this. Things like this. And here is the deal. Here is the weight. Here is the heaviness of this passage. What, what, what John is saying is you need an advocate because all of these things separate you from the very love of Jesus Christ, from the very love of God. What it means to, to, to be at enmity with the Lord is that he hates sin. There is no room for any of this mess in his kingdom. None. Zero. He doesn't have space for it. He won't deal with it. Here's the deal. You have a home. If not, you at least live with somebody. In that home, there are rules. And there are rules that my mother just would not put up with. You're not doing this in my house. If you want to do this, you got to get your own spot. I just didn't do them because I like where I live. But the point here is this. If we are ungodly in our thinking and wretched in the way we operate and act, and we have standards... Don't you think God has standards? And his standards is all these things that we laugh about, he will not put up within his kingdom. He's not going to do it. So we need an advocate. I mean, I read through this list and I just wept. 
I've been fighting through 1 John for a while now, three or four months, just, just dealing with it. I'm like, Lord, what are you saying? I need an advocate. Every single morning I wake up and I say, hey, I need an advocate. Who's going to fend for me? Who's going to stand for me? Who would even want to stand up for me? Thanks be to God. It says we have an advocate. And here's the line now, because the we is not totally inclusive. The we is believers. If you believe in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and that he is the propitiation for your sins and that you don't have to do anything to get to heaven other than to confess your sins to him, this we belongs to you. And if not, you're going to hell. And that's the truth. Because hell exists. Big Bang theories don't. We have. Here is the sweetness of this verse. Just, just listen. It says, but if anyone does sin, we already cleared it up. Amen. We all sin. Okay, cool. If you think you need an advocate, say, I need an advocate. Okay, good. Now we're on the same page. We can keep going. It says, have an advocate with the Father. But the language is, we have. It doesn't say you're going to get it. <laughs> it doesn't say, just wait. It says, we have an advocate. We currently possess an advocate. And, let's, and what's sweeter than that is that he's with the Father. So when Jesus left, he said, I'm going to leave for you. The meaning of an advocate, let me clear this up, means simply one who is called to help another. One who is called to be a comforter. That's what it is. An advocate. One who is coming to another's defense. So we have Jesus Christ who serves as our advocate, and he is not some far-off dude sitting away in a corner by himself. The Bible says we have an advocate with the Father. So the, 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 the God, the creator of universes, galaxies, this planet, dust, the sun, the moon, the stars, the oxygen in your lungs this very moment, the lights we see, the grass we walk on, this very same father who holds all wrath and all anger in his hands, our advocate is sitting next to him. Sitting next to him. Sitting next to him. That's good news. That's good news. Go back to my opening, to my opening point. When, when, when Elijah was bombarded and, and, and being bullied, his father was right there next to him. Right there next to him. So as we sin, we have Jesus Christ who is constantly contending for us. We have a great high priest who can sympathize with us. And that's Hebrew language. Not the language Hebrew, that's in the book of Hebrews, I'm sorry. Like, he, he's working at the seminary. He's going to start talking Hebrew now. Now, we leave that to, to Jimmy Butts, all right? <laughs> we'll leave that, we'll leave that to, to Dr. Jimmy Butts, all right? He says, he says, he says listen, we, we have an advocate who is with him. Who is the advocate? Jesus Christ, the righteous. Don't trip. Don't be offended if people say they don't want anything to do with your advocate. They might just say, I don't want nothing to do with your Jesus. I don't want nothing to do with your Jesus. Don't trip. The road is narrow. Press into him. 
But don't be thin-skinned. They say, I don't want nothing to do with your Jesus. Share the gospel with them, but don't be shocked. We hear it all the time. And the more you share the gospel, the more you hear it. The more you tell people Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life, the more you hear it. But don't be surprised, because they may say, I want nothing to do with him. But here's the deal. Even if you're under the sound of my voice today, if you don't have an advocate, then what do you have? I'll tell you what you have. You have shame. That's why 116 can say, I'm unashamed of the gospel. You're only unashamed of the gospel when you fully understand the weight and the implications of it. You have guilt if you don't have an advocate because you're being charged both by your heart and by this evil world and by Satan and evil principalities. Your heart is being bombarded. You're being constantly accused. And so you feel shame and you feel guilt. And in the end, that's going to lead to death. So here's the deal. We need to even take our advocate by our, I mean we, those who have been called, those who are set apart, those who are chasing after the light. You can deal with your own guilt and your shame and your hate. And I'll tell you this, at the end, when I'm, when I'm wrapping up in a few minutes, and at the end here, there'll be a couple of men standing here, and that'll be your time to come up and say, I need an advocate. That'll be your time to come up and say, I need an advocate. If you don't want to come up here, you're like, I don't want to walk up here, catch me, I'll stand here, I'll go over to the corner or something. I'll meet you right there. And we just talk about why you need an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. Pastor Nate pointed out last week that this Jesus Christ is known as a master. <laughs> and he's a good master. But he's also known as the King of Kings, the immortal, the invisible great counselor, the great high priest, <laughs> our salvation, the lily of the valley. He's known as a rock. He's known as a comforter. He's known as all of those great things. But he is also, my dear friends, known as a righteous advocate. So I'm not sure what void he needs to fill in your life today. I'm not sure. Because we're broken people, dealing with broken people. But I tell you, the greatest need is not food, it's not money, it's not a spouse, it's not your debt taken care of, it's not finishing schoolwork, it's not whatever it is you can think about. The greatest need you have is you need an advocate. You need somebody to stand up and say, I, I, the, he, he's mine. She is mine. That's what you need. He is. I'm, I'm getting to verse two now, y'all. What time did I get up here, baby? <laughs> hey, y'all, I done lost track of time. All right? It was about 40 after, I think. <laughs> I won't be sensitive to y'all. I can't just... All right, so y'all get the point of verse 1? Y'all got that? All right. Hey, if not, then make sure you're in small group this week because Brother Jared's going to put some questions and answers together. And you can talk about it there. All right? Ain't that right, Brother Jared? So don't, don't miss small group this week. That was my plug right there. I'm done with that, y'all. All right, so 1 John 2 and 2 says this. We've established that we are sinners. We established that he's writing John this letter to us. We've established that it's not a demonstrative poke at us that we're little kids. It's more about affection 
and, 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 and care and concern than it is talking down to someone. We, 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 we understand now that, that he's writing this so that we don't sin. And now let's talk about Jesus Christ being the propitiation of our sins. That's verse 2. So propitiation is just a fancy word. Your Bible may even say he covers or he takes care of or it's sufficient or it appeases. What you need is somebody to take care of God's anger. How many of y'all been mad before? How many of y'all been mad before? You get mad and you say, I'm just going to break something. Or that just me? <laughs> I was confessing sin to y'all publicly. You just get angry. And so, so what do you do with the anger? What do you do with the anger? What do you do with it? Well, God's going to do something with his. And if your sins haven't been taken care of, that cup that he is filling up, talked about in Revelations 21, that cup, the, the wine press crushing the earth, crushing those who are sinful, you're going to be in one or two places in the end time. You're going to be on the side of the Lord, or you're going to be on the other side. And what you need today is propitiation, a covering for your sin. Go back to the garden. Adam and Eve sinned. I'm going to give you something to cover up your newness now because you know right from wrong. But it's bigger than that. He knows the inner workings of your heart, and you need somebody to take care of that. And your works won't do it. See, it says he is a propitiation for our sins, not our works. You can't work your way into heaven. You can't be good enough. You can't do it. I tried it. Like that, that, that was just part of my testimony, coming to know the Lord. I be, I, the Lord showed himself to me. I said, you know what? I'm just going to work this thing out for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> I said, you know what? I'm going to be good enough. I'm going to be strong enough. I'm going to sin less. I'm going to be all right. Hey, two weeks into that plan, and I was folded on the church van coming off from Little Flock Missionary Baptist Church, confessing my sin to David Williams. And he said, well, son, what you need is Jesus. <laughs> what you need is somebody who has covered your sins. Works won't do it. Let me close the back door on this works piece. For those of y'all who want to try to ease out of works. <laughs> James 2.18 says this. You have faith and I have works. That's what some say. James says, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my work. Faith provokes us to work. When we love him, we want to do his will. When we know him, we want to kill our sins. When we woe him, we want to fellowship with other believers. When we know him, we want to tell everyone we come in contact about him, even if we do offend them, even if we are ashamed. Because he says, hey, listen, if you'll be ashamed before me and I'll be ashamed before you, y'all, that is not what you want. He's the propitiation for our sins. I'm, I'm going to say these few things and I'm going to sit down. He says, not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. And now, and now the whole passage is, is, is about fellowship. Okay? So, so we understand that so, so we understand that Jesus Christ's blood, it was sufficient for all, but it didn't apply to all. And I was like, that's that's not the push here in this text. 
If we read it in the proper context, he's not, he's not drawing this line between now the sheep and the goats and who Jesus Christ's blood really covers. What he's saying is, hey, Christians, I'm in one place. You're in another place. His sins covers, his blood covers all of our sins. Everyone in the entire world, his blood covers it. If you know him and you love him and you're a Christian, his blood covers your sins. The push here is think outside of forest. There are saints right now in Quebec rejoicing and doing the same thing we're doing. There are saints in Zimbabwe praising shouts and acclamation and praise to the Lord. There are saints in Ghana and in Asia and in Australia. And what I want you to know is not just your sins that he's covered. He has covered the sins of the whole world. And one day we get to stand with every nation and every tribe and every tongue and praise and shout and throw our crowns to the ground and say, oh, Lord, we love you. That's what the push is. Don't think. Don't think that his blood is just sufficient enough for your mess. His blood is sufficient for all of our sins. But it came at a cost. It came at a cost came at a cost. came at a cost. It did. So what did it cost? What did it cost? What did it cost for you to sit here and feel free? What did it cost? What did it cost for you to, to get on your knees and confess your sins and get back up and live life? What did it cost? Let me remind some of you all, and maybe tell some of you all for the first time what it cost. Jesus Christ, the righteous that I'm talking about, lived a sinless life. He was before time existed. He and his Father and the Holy Spirit didn't need anything, didn't want for anything, didn't desire anything because everything he needed was in himself. If you can make sense of that, you let me know. But Adam sinned and fell short of the standard set by God. And the world began to spiral out of control. So what we see in our news media today, the wretchedness in your own heart, the chaos in your own home, the mess at your place of employment, it's all just a result of Adam's sin. And so many came, prophets came, teachers came, many high priests came, Many goats were sacrificed. Many thousands upon thousands of sheep and cows and birds were sacrificed, and it still wasn't enough to appease the wrath of God. It still wasn't enough. It still wasn't enough. He's like, I'm still angry. I hate sin so much, I'm still angry. So Jesus clothed in righteousness, then I'll take care of it, Father. I'll take care of it, Father. John 17 says, you gave them to me. I want to keep them. And he came. And he lived a sinless life. And they hated him. Men and women hated him. And they'll hate you. And you just got to deal with that. Because they hated him. 
and their hate drove them to take him, to beat him, to put him in prison, to spit on him, and to mock him, and to strip his clothes off of him, and to take his hands and his feet, and to nail him to a cross, and then paraded him up for everyone to see. And so he took on guilt and shame and sin for you and for me. And he died. But he got up. (laughs) He died. And John said, the book of John says he got up out of the grave, folded his things, and walked out and declared all power in his hands. You got the angels sitting and asking the women when they arrive, what are you looking for? Why are you here? He is not here. He has risen just as he said he would. And that's the gospel. You're sinful. So am I. Jesus is righteous. You need his shed blood. If you don't get it, you're going to hell. Let us pray.